Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more way to play fantasy today's episode is brought to you by flex fantasy and they want me to relay a message to you that they have cracked open the game of fantasy football to all when you sign up for a free account and download the flex fantasy app you can import all your teams from all your leagues across multiple platforms that you play on spice up your fantasy playing experience by challenging league mates or strangers off the street to a fantasy matchup no matter how or where they play and put your money where your mouth is by placing a wager on your head-to-head matchup it doesn't matter if you are on yahoo and your opponent is on sleeper you can import your teams to flex fantasy to face off you can even make wagers on who you think will win between other challenges besides your own so sign up for a free account and download the app to try it out at flex.fan this is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome in and thank you for tuning in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're back, baby, on this Tuesday night, live on our YouTube channel, and of course, check us out on bellyup.tv. You can always catch us on demand on your favorite TV device when you download the Fox D Network app and check out the Belly Up Sports TV category, or you can stay up to date with the show on the go. When you download us on your favorite podcast app, please give us a five-star review. It greatly helps out the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're back on a Tuesday night, baby, and it's time for the primetime recap and the waiver savers tonight. That's what we'll be talking about 
The primetime recap, of course, referring to the Sunday night and Monday night game. And then we had the waiver savers in the second half of the show, along with this segment that I think is going to wind up being a fan favorite. My heroes and zeros, or basically, in simpler terms, my right and wrong calls of the week, or at least my top ones anyway. We can make a whole show just based on my right and wrong calls of the week. We don't, we're not going to do that. We don't have time to do that. So we're just going to keep it to our top two and, and our, our best two and worst two, basically. Our, our best two right calls, our worst two wrong calls. And that would be kind of encapsulate everything. It's just a way to keep myself honest. It's not something I've done on the show before. Uh, it's an idea I had this year. And it's just kind of a, I think it's a good, fun way as an analyst. Keep yourself honest of what you were right about, but also what you were wrong about. And that gives you full transparency to you. MD Nation. And I think that is completely and utterly very, I don't know how many more adjectives I could put in front of it to describe what a relationship should be between a host, an analyst, and his fandom, his fans. You guys are the ones who make the show. You're you're the reason I'm here. So I have to hold hold myself accountable to you. So I think it's gonna be a fan favorite segment. But before we do that, we do have to recap the Sunday night and the Monday night games. So let's talk about our thumpers and bummers to kick off the show, starting off, of course, with the quarterbacks. Quarterback thumpers. This is Sparta! So there's only two games that we're talking about. Clearly, as a result of that, there's not going to be, you know, that many players to choose from. So we might only have one quarterback thumper from the two games. And that's what we have here today. Russell Wilson. I know he didn't get the win, but ultimately, from a fantasy standpoint, was the best quarterback of the Sunday night and Monday night matchups. 29 of 42, 340 yards and a touchdown. No interceptions for Russell Wilson. So a very clean, solid, good fantasy football day. Again, didn't get the win, but Russell Wilson did kind of what you drafted him to do. Be that back-end QB1, and that's the kind of performance that he was able to put on here today. Quarterback bummers. Both the quarterbacks, unshockingly, from the Sunday night game, make our bummers list. Tom Brady was a little bit better than Prescott, so he's our number two bummer, rather our number one. 18 of 27, 212 yards, a touchdown, an interception. It just was not pretty. Now, the Bucs didn't have to do much to win this game either, which is part of it, because I think 27 pass attempts out of Tom Brady, that would have been, I believe that would have been his low mark last season. That could wind up being his low mark this season. They just didn't have to do too much. But when we get into our extra credit game notes, there is something else we're going to have to talk about when it comes to Tom Brady that might be a little bit concerning if you drafted him in hopes that he could have a close to repeat performance from last year. And on Dak Prescott's side, the injury came in the fourth quarter, very, very unfortunate, but it's not like he was lighting it up or performing well up until that point anyway. 14 of 29, 134 yards, didn't have a touchdown, had the interception, and then, of course, picks up the thumb injury, which we learned going to need six to eight weeks to recover because of surgery. And it's it just it sounds I don't know if it's the exact same injury. We'll have Brian Scott on tomorrow at 10 p.m. Eastern when we have our look ahead Wednesday episode to give us more of his expertise on the matter. But it, it seems to be a, a similar injury, at least in my mind, to what we had to deal with Russell Wilson. 
when even when he came back, now Russell Wilson did come back maybe a little bit earlier than he was supposed to. And maybe they don't rush Prescott back as a result. But when Wilson came back, it's not like he was the same quarterback after that injury either. So questions we'll have for Brian Scott at the beginning of tomorrow's show. For a look ahead Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern live on our YouTube channel and live on bellyup.tv. Running back thumpers. This is Sparta! So for our thumpers, we got one from the Monday night game and one from the Sunday night game. Our number two thumper of the week, Javante Williams. It was a modest stat line on the ground, but 11, well, I should start with this, 12 targets, 11 receptions, 65 yards through the air, over 100 yards from scrimmage. He doesn't find the end zone, but if this game, it represents a Javante Williams floor, you got to be feeling pretty good about it. And this was an ugly game from start to finish for everybody involved. And we'll talk about Melvin Gore and Javante Williams and what their split all means moving forward. But Javante Williams coming through for you in the passing game, if not getting it done on the ground, something you have to be happy to see. Again, this very well could be a floor performance for Javante Williams. And our number one thumper, Leonard Fournette. 21 carries, 127 yards, didn't get in the end zone, and only tacked on two targets for two receptions for 10 yards. But in a game in which there was not much offense, Leonard Fournette was a... Close to loan, not totally alone, but close to loan, light, bright spot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if you can get it done against the Dallas Cowboys in that kind of a game, Leonard Fournette will be able to get done against anybody. He was a Lockman stardom for me, a top 12 running back. He proved true with that, with that performance. So Leonard Fournette definitely moving forward, a guy you want to have. Running back bummers. These two guys didn't totally dudge you out like some of our other bummers of the week. But Ezekiel Elliott still wasn't good. He's our number one bummer. 10 carries, 52 yards, didn't get in the end zone, and only had two targets, one reception for negative three yards. And again, we'll talk about a little bit more about him and Pollard when we get to our game notes. But yes, it was a tough matchup on paper. However, in a game in which they couldn't get any offense going, Zeke didn't run too bad from an efficiency standpoint. I mean, that's 5.2 yards a carry against a pretty good Tampa Bay defensive front. The, the problem really is Kellen Moore. And maybe this changes now with the Dak Prescott injury moving forward. But Ezekiel Elliott being efficient on the ground should have helped set up play action. And Kellen Moore just didn't stick with it because he wanted to be so pass happy. And that's one of the reasons why Ezekiel Elliott winds up not having a good fantasy day. And our number two bummer. And like I said, these guys, it's tough saying they're bummers because they're they're not nearly the bummers we really had during the Sunday matchups. But Rashad Penny, mediocre stat line. 12 carries, 60 yards, three targets, two receptions, seven yards. I will say this, the one thing that has to have you a little bit concerned if you had high hopes that Rashad Penny could kind of capture some of the magic that he had towards the end of last season, it's that this was a game that was set up to be a Rashad Penny type of game. It was 17-16. Seattle won this game. Never really trailed in this game. This should be tailor-made for Rashad Penny because I don't think this type of game script is going to be all that common for the Seattle Seahawks. Because of Geno Smith, I think they will be trailing more times not come that second half. That wasn't the case here. And yet Rashad Penny still only winds up with 12 carries in the game. Was efficient on those 12 carries but still only 12 carries. Not as many touches as you would have wanted to see. If you told me the Seattle Seahawks 
you know, won this game 17 to 16 before the game started, I would have thought Rashad Penny would have had at least 20 touches in that scenario. So something you have to be a little bit concerned about, because even though Seattle held on to this game, one thing that I do think will be a trend moving forward, they were dominated in time of possession to the Denver Broncos, something I think will be a recurring trend throughout the season. So something to keep in mind, because we haven't even seen Kenneth Walker return yet from his hernia surgery. He got on the practice field on Saturday. He might be closer and on the way. Wide receiver thumpers. This is Sparta! So we have one from the Sunday night game and one from the Monday night game for our wide receiver thumpers of the week in the primetime recap. Our number two thumper, Jerry Judy, the guy who'd started to be forgotten about. I made a comment about this. I believe it was Thursday night. Chris was on the show. I remember that. And I was pointing out as one, of, and Jerry Jew is one of my lockman stardoms. I had him at wide receiver 30, but he was like a wide receiver three, either in the flex or if you're playing three receiver sets, you're playing him in your lineups. And I brought up the fact that, especially around the industry, there had started to seemingly been more talk about KJ Hamler and how everyone seems to think he's going to be the next Tyler Lockett and just not even talking. And then, of course, the hype about Cortland Sutton being the number one favorite target coming out of pre, a preseason. And then no talk about Jerry Judy. And he had a big performance in this game. Seven targets, four receptions, 102 yards. Had a big bomb touchdown. Is actually kind of what got the Denver's offense, you know, for all intents and purposes. It wasn't great still kind of going after that big play. He had a great performance. You got to feel good about that for Jerry Judy moving forward, especially since you probably drafted him at a little bit of a discount because he was a guy who was kind of getting forgotten about towards the end tail end there of the draft process for fantasy football purposes. And then our number one thumper is Mike Evans also had seven targets, five receptions, 71 yards, a touchdown in this game. And the reason why he's the number one thumper and not Jerry Judy, when it really should be the other way around for this week, it's more of the indication moving forward with Chris Godwin being banged up with the hamstring injury. Yes, they're calling it not as severe as they thought it would be, which, of course, is good news for Chris Godwin. We still don't know how much time he's going to miss, and they still might play careful because he's still trying to come off the knee injury. So if those two things are going to be true, Mike Evans might be in a situation where we don't exactly know. We got a Julio Jones. He looked good. He looked promising. Russell Gage is still trying to work his way back from a hamstring injury. We can trust Mike Evans might have a couple of games coming up here where he is above and beyond the number one targeted wide receiver. So he wants to be our number one thumper, not necessarily for this week of these two matchups, but for moving forward. Wide receiver bummers. Apologize. Couldn't find the drop in a timely manner there, but yes, our wide receiver bummers. We got three of them and the bottom two are our number three bummer and our number two bummer, both Seattle Seahawks, wide receivers. Tyler Lockett, four targets, three catches, 28 yards, no scores. DK Metcalf, seven targets, seven receptions, but only for 36 yards. Everything had to seemingly be within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage with Geno Smith. The deep ball might be off the table this season. I don't know because this game again, 17-16, this is how Seattle is going to try to win ball games. And that matters when you're trying to look at this game script, we got a good clear-cut idea that if things go Seattle's way, this is what's going to look like. Now, I think there will be more games, again, that they will be trailing rather than not. 
but it's not like the volume wasn't there for DK Metcalf. It might not have, it might have been a little bit on the low side for Tyler Lockett, but if the deep ball's off the table, I got real concerns about these two, and it's why they are boomer bust. Well, Metcalf's a boomer bust wide receiver three for me. Tyler Lockett's going to be moving back into that deep wide receiver four territory. Our number one bust, our number one bummer, C.D. Lamb. 11 targets, you like the volume, but only two receptions for 29 yards. And frankly, I didn't like the body language of a C.D. Lamb. Even when Dak Prescott was out there early in the game, even though they were trying to target him, I don't know if it was frustration just because he wasn't getting open. He wasn't, they weren't executing on those opportunities because Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay secondary did a really, really nice job covering him and taking him away. So I don't know if it's frustration, but I just was not thrilled with the body language I was seeing out of CD Lamb, more so than just the pitiful box score stat line. And now, of course, we have the future to worry about next six to eight weeks. What the heck can CD Lamb's ceiling truly be? And can you even play him? I think is going to be somewhat of a question. We'll get into that more in the game notes in the next segment over there. Tight end thumpers. This is Sparta! It's not a gaudy stat line, but in a week in which tight ends were totally disappeared outside of Travis Kelsey, Dalton Schultz, nine targets, seven receptions, 62 yards, a very Dalton Schultz-like stat line. Now, of course, he's going to have the same questions of a C.D. Lamb of what can we really expect out of you now without a Dak Prescott around. But I will say in Schultz's case, I don't see why his role as the safety blanket would change. And while it might not be these seven catch performances as consistently him getting about five catches. I think will still be about his average. He'll still be a tight end one. I believe most weeks, even with Cooper rush coming at the starting quarterback, we'll see exactly what happens. We talk about the Cowboys more as this week progresses. I, I still find it hard to believe that Cooper rush will be a starting quarterback past this week. I think he will be for this week, but I have a hard time believing they're going to let this season just completely go to the wayside and which is what will happen if Cooper Rush is actually going to be the starting quarterback for the next six to eight weeks while they wait for Dak Prescott to come back. It would just be very surprising to me, but we'll have to see exactly how that plays out. Tight end bummers. I had him as one of my busts in the pre-draft process. I don't know anybody who's hyping him up too far. I know some people thought maybe he could be a sleeper. He was one of the main pieces in the Russell Wilson trade. But Noah Fant was in a three-tight-end committee. He winds up with four targets for three receptions and 16 yards. The other two tight ends scored. There are some dark days ahead for Noah Fant. If you have him in Dynasty, I would try to move on. We don't know when they're ever going to get a good quarterback. And even if they do, apparently, Pete Carroll wants a rotation at the tight end position. It's bad enough that tight ends are so volatile as it is. You're going to give me a guy who's in a rotation and a committee on top of it? No, thank you. Noah Fant will not be owned in redraft leagues this year unless something drastic happens. And for dynasty purposes, I think I might be trying to move on from Noah Fant. The time, I believe, has come. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. That does it for our thumpers and bummers of the primetime recap games. Let's talk about our game notes. I know, I know, I know. We know. What do we know coming out of the primetime matchup starting off with the Sunday night game? Well, we know that Dallas is screwed. <laughs> that's And that's putting it mildly. Dallas is completely and utterly devastated after the news of the Dak Prescott injury. That's the number one thing to take out of that game. Number two thing is more injuries. The O-line got banged up. McGovern's going to be out four to six weeks, I believe it was, for his injuries. Now they have more shuffling to do across that offensive line. They're still probably about a week or two away from Jason Peters being able to come in at the left tackle position. Maybe they've moved that timeline up. I don't know where he's at physically, if he's going to be truly ready to go. But they're going to have to figure out something. So you have a bad quarterback in Cooper Rush. You have a bad offensive line, or at least at the very least, a makeshift offensive line. That proves to be a disaster nine out of ten times when it comes to your fantasy-relevant wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs. If you have a piece of the Dallas Cowboys, and look, CeeDee Lamb was my number six wide receiver. I have him in quite a few leagues. I am right there with you guys. It is not going to look pretty from here on out. You are hoping, you're hoping that they just consolidate, right? We've talked about that in fantasy football before. If you're a bad team, but you consolidate where the ball goes, you can still have a chance to pick out fantasy-relevant players based on volume. And I will say this for CeeDee Lamb, it wasn't due to lack of volume on Sunday night that he wasn't able to perform. So it's going to come down the more. And Kellen Moore looked like he was completely lost in week one. It's been a few years now since I've been impressed with Kellen Moore's play calling. It's now going to be on him to game plan a situation that best suits the players that need the balls in their hands for the Dallas Cowboys. That's the big takeaway for the Cowboys. And there's, there's nothing else. There's nothing else to go off of. Zeke and Tony Pollard, they might get utilized more because out of necessity, I can't see a scenario in which Kellen Moore is going to come out here and think he could be all aggressive throwing the ball around with, with Cooper Rush. We might see more 22 personnel, you know, two, three tight end sets with the makeshift offensive line. We might see the Dallas Cowboys switch into a more power run team. And that might be the smartest thing. And if they do that, that'd still be okay for CeeDee Lamb because it'll still be out there and play action could open up. It could still be okay. But Kellamore's got to show he's willing to do that. And this is a bad situation across the board. On the Tampa Bay side, Fournette is the man. There were some questions. You know, they drafted Rashad White. He's got a great pass-catching profile. 
there were some questions with Leonard Fournette still be the guy. And while Fournette only wound up again with two targets, this was a scenario in which the Bucks only threw the ball 27 times, didn't have to do much to win this game other than just run Leonard Fournette the middle. He was the guy. He looks every bit as the low-end RB1 at minimum that you drafted him to be. You're happy with what you saw out of Leonard Fournette, and he was the man ahead of Rashad White. Mike Evans will stay a low-end wide receiver one. Again, injuries to Chris Godwin. Russell Gage, we'll see if he's closer to being 100% back next week. And even Julio Jones, while it was actually a nice little performance out of Julio Jones, Mike Evans right now is the most trustworthy Tom Brady wide receiver. And when that's the case and that's the scenario, give me a wide receiver one, at least a low-end wide receiver one every day of the week. So Mike Evans is your guy moving forward. And Julio Jones is the wide receiver to own if Gowan misses time. Russell Gage is still going to be interesting, but it looks like Julio is going to be that Z receiver to Mike Evans's X, especially with Gowan out. I don't know how long Julio can hold up. It may just be a ticking time clock until he pulls a hamstring. Who knows? But in the meantime, Julio Jones is a guy that you actually want to own on your teams. Let's dive into that Monday night game. Let's divvy out that low-scoring affair. That's 17-16 to 16 matchup where Seattle shocks Denver, spoils Russell Wilson's return, and pulls off one of the bigger upsets of the week. And there were there were a few. We'll start off on the Denver side of the ball. I was one of the problems I think Denver had was that I was not a fan of the vanilla scheme that we saw in Nathaniel Hackett. They are uber talented on that offense with Williams and Gordon out of the backfield, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton's wide receivers, Russell Wilson's the quarterback. They are uber talented across the board. And what I saw is what I kind of saw in the Green Bay outside of Devontae Adams. Sutton and Jerry Judy, while they still wound up having decent stat lines by the end of this game, were running patterns like they were the other Green Bay wide receivers. Standalone routes, not much options to them, not much nuances, not much motion, no rubs, no schematic way of helping them get open other than just putting it on them and their own talent to just do it by themselves. This is one of the things I worried about with Denver. I, I love Denver's team. I think they're a Super Bowl contender. The Achilles heel to me was Nathaniel Hackett because I've never been impressed by Nathaniel Hackett's play calling. And remember, the last three years with Green Bay, he's not the one who's been calling the plays. It's been LaFleur. Last time we saw Nathaniel Hackett actually tri- true domain over the offense was back with Jacksonville with Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles. They had that one really good year, but that was it. And it kind of reminded me of that. He was kind of r- running that spread system he did with Blake Boros just with a lot less RPO. Well, a big reason why that system worked back then was because they were running RPO with Blake Bortles. I don't think they're going to do that Russell Wilson if he doesn't want to, and I don't think he really wants to. After watching this game, it looked like Russell Wilson was doing everything in his power to not take off, to not scramble. As he's, you know, a highly paid quarterback who is getting up there in age. But I was not impressed at all with the offensive attack of Nano Thackett hack it and I do think it's going to put them in situations like this where there are times that their offense should be just putting up a bunch of points and they don't not all of it was on him there were a couple of fumbles at the goal line in key situation one by Gordon one by Javante Williams and this game would have been totally different had that not happened but I was not impressed at all with the scheme that they ran out there speaking though of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams there might be a split in carries. Gordon actually out-carried Javante Williams in this game 12-7. to Both are really good. 
Melvin Gordon, 4.8 yards per carry. Javante Williams had over a six yards per carry average. They were both very good in this game. Denver, from a run-blocking standpoint, did really well. They moved that line of scrimmage. Another reason why I kind of give Hackett a lot of crap here because there was really no reason to get away from the running game. They should have stuck with it to try to help open up the play action, which is what Russell Wilson is best at to begin with. And they kept going spread offense and kept trying to take deep shots for absolutely no reason. Sorry, I'm trying to get off of Nathaniel Hackett, but there's just a lot of things out there that I didn't like. But while there was a split seemingly between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams on the ground, there's absolutely no question who the lead pass catcher is in all the situations that you want your pass catcher to be in. And that was Javante Williams. Again, I talked about it in just the other segment, the thumpers and bummers. 12 targets, 11 catches, 65 yards. And while I don't expect him to have stat lines like that, the fact that he was so far and above and beyond Melvin Gordon, who only had two targets in this game, if they are going to split carries, fine. If you're going to give Javante Williams the over abundantly majority of the work in the passing situations that you care about the most, third down longs, two-minute drills, all that nature, Javante Williams will get enough of a workload ahead of Melvin Gordon that you're not going to worry about his floor if this is, in fact, going to stay a split with the carries, which it kind of looked like it was. Again, Gordon out carrying him just a little bit. And my last note for week one, or I'm sorry, my, my last note for Denver for week one, both Judy and Cortland Sutton can eat. Surprise, surprise, Russell Wilson, even in a game in which only they only scored 16 points, both his top two receivers were able to eat. We talked about Jerry Judy. Cortland Sutton also had seven targets, four catches, 72 yards in this game. I don't think they're going to be consistently out-targeted by Javante Williams those weeks, but this was a situation in which both guys got to eat. That will be the case moving forward. All right, let's get to Seattle and wrap up week one recap. So Seattle, we talked a little bit about it already. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. This game confirmed my concerns. Again, this game went how Seattle wants their games to go. Now, there will be other games which they're trailing. I think most games they will be trailing, and there will be more volume in the passing game as a result. But what I was concerned about was not necessarily volume. It was usage. Seven targets, seven receptions for DK Metcalf. For that to only go for 36 yards. That's what I'm worried about. For Tyler Lockett to only have 28 yards off of three receptions, that's what I'm worried about. This entire offense had to operate within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Geno Smith has to play game manager, clean-cut games that for Seattle to have chances to win, like he did in the Monday night game. That's what I'm concerned about. If you're going to take the deep ball off the table, you're taking the ceiling off the table for DK Metcalf. It's why he was one of my bus receivers in the draft process. It's why I was so much lower than him than the ECR and the ADP. So I had him ranked as a wide receiver three, and I had Tyler Lockett ranked as a wide receiver four. If there's not much of an explosive ceiling, and I have to rely on volume to establish a floor for two guys who are normally speaking big play guys, they're going to become touchdown dependent. And that's not what I want out of my wide receivers. It's what you have to deal with at a tight end. It's not what I want out of my wide receivers, especially the today's day and age when there's so many good wide receivers to go with. So this confirmed my concerns for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett moving forward. Noah Fant, we talked about him a little bit too in the bummer section. He's not going to be rostered at all in redraft this year. And my last note for week one, Rashad Penny, he's an RB3 until Kenneth Walker comes back. Again, the Broncos did dominate time of possession, especially in the second half. But a game that was 17-16, to that Seattle was leading the entire game 
for him to only get 12 carries when Kenneth Walker is not in the game is a little bit concerning to me that only one, not only is Rashad Penny, even though he's efficient on five yards carry, not going to be able to probably most likely not going to be able to recapture the match he had towards the end of last season. When Kenneth Walker gets back into the mix, we're very much looking at a situation where he's at best a flex play. And then we're waiting to see, does he get injured or does Kenneth Walker show how good of a player he could possibly be? Now I'll be curious to see what his recovery is going to be like coming off the hernia. When we talked to Brian Scott last week about it, it seems to be to him. Once he's recovered, he's recovered. He expects him to be good to go because it's not as serious of a hernia injury as a sports hernia, for instance. So he might be more able to recover closer to 100% as a result of that. That does it for our notes of the game. It's time for a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we'll get into my heroes and zeros of week one. And of course, the waiver savers to help you guys get prepared and start looking forward to week two. So everybody stay tuned. The MD's fantasy football show will be back with you right after this. Football is back, baby. And our new sponsor, True Classic, wants you to look and feel your best even after a couple of brewskis or going full force on your fantasy football draft. Sure, it's football season, but it's also butt the couch season. Luckily, True Classic has the absolute best-fitting clothing a man can buy. Snug in the arms and chest with a little extra space in the torso, their t-shirts are designed to keep you cozy and highlight your best assets no matter what you're up to. So if your special someone is upset that you're watching football all day, at least you can look good doing it. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men find the perfect fit at an affordable price. Our listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at trueclassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six-packs, but most of us aren't packing anything but a few beers. Fellas, you are wearing the wrong clothes. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt you can always confidently throw on. It's about time to get your fit together, so upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic and get 25% off at trueclassic.com with promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. That's 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. If there's one bet you should make this football season, it's on True Classic. True Classic, look good, feel good. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back into the show, MD Nation, and thank you for tuning in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're coming to you live on our YouTube channel and on bellyup.tv. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Download us. On the Foxy Network app on your favorite TV device, you can catch us on demand and stay up to date with the show on the go. When you download us on your favorite podcast, give us a five-star review. It greatly helps out the show. I've been your host, Dan Mater, for the evening and for always on this show. And we just got done recapping the primetime games with our thumpers and bummers and notes of the game. Now it's time for our new segment, our brand new segment. First time breaking it out today, our heroes and zeros, or otherwise known as my right and wrong calls of the week. 
if I could just find the drop. Always new drops, always difficult to find. Dan's Heroes and Zeros. Okay. So again, these are my right and wrong calls of the week, or what I should say, my top two right calls and my worst two wrong calls, because we, again, could make a whole show just based on right and wrong calls of the week. So I always like to start off with a little bit of good news, so let's do that with our quarterbacks. Quarterback heroes. Thank you, Kirk Cousins, for making me look like a very, very smart man. I had him ranked inside the top 12, and he finishes at 12 on that actually I had him ranked right at 12 and he finished inside the top 12 and he didn't have to come back from behind to do it that was the other thing about Kirk Cousins in this game he looks very comfortable in the system with Kevin O'Connell Justin Jefferson looks like he's going to be every bit the wide receiver one overall that I ranked him to be and as a result I think that just helps Kirk Cousins have a floor this is a good Green Bay defense on paper and he didn't have to have a crazy insane volume game to have a solid performance. It wasn't a crazy great performance out of Kirk Cousins. It wasn't like a it wasn't a top five finish or anything like that. But he played his game within the confines of the offense, didn't have to do too much, and still finished a top 12 guy. This is why I was ranking him as the quarterback that you wanted to draft late if you're still looking for a QB1 in the double-digit rounds. Thank you, Kirk Cousins. You were a right call for me in this game. Quarterback zeros. I keep having to go back to the Sunday night game, and I, I really hope I can stop talking about it after this. But, yeah, my number two zero or wrong call, Dak Prescott finished in the QB3 range, is in other words, like the back-end 20s range, and I had him ranked at QB9. And I can't blame the injury. Again, that injury didn't happen. If you didn't see the game, it didn't happen till late in the fourth quarter. He was already having a terrible day. Before that point, he was not going to finish anywhere near the top 10. And I had him ranked as a QB9. So I apologize for being incredibly wrong on Dak Prescott. Quarterback heroes. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. I was right on Justin Herbert. I had him ranked at the QB5 for the week, and he finishes on the dot at QB5. Even without Keenan Allen for the majority of that game, he was able to spread the ball around, looks razor sharp, looks like a top-five quarterback. Justin Herbert making me look good in week one. Quarterback zeros. Tom Brady was not making me look good in week one. Tom Brady, another guy, didn't get hurt like Dak at all. 
and still finish in the back end 20s of the quarterbacks as a QB3 range. I had him ranked as a QB7. I expected him to come out and have a huge Tom Brady-like game. Dallas' defense, again, usually not known for keeping teams out of the end zone, just more known for sacks and turnovers. I'm concerned about that offensive line, but better days will be ahead for Tom Brady. I have all the certainty in the world about that. We'll see about week two, though. We're going to talk about that in tomorrow's show during the Look Ahead Wednesday. All right, let's talk about our running back hero and zeros. And you know what? Let's start on the other side. Let's, let's stick with the zeros. Running back zeros. This one hurt me personally. Alva Kamara, I had him ranked as an RB3, licking my chops against Atlanta. Now, it came out later on that Kamara may have had a rib injury during the game. So I do start to wonder, is that why he was used so infrequently? When you see a game like that where the Saints were trailing from behind and yet Alma Kamara only had 12 touches, it just didn't make any sense, especially you only have three catches in the passing game when you're trying to come back again. The Saints had had a hell of a second-half comeback in order to win that game, and the fact that Alma Kamara just wasn't involved in the passing game was strange. So I'm starting to wonder now, maybe it had more to do with the rib injury than anything else, but at the end of the day, I had him ranked as a top-three running back and this guy completely dudded out on us and fell all the way back into the 4B4 range, as in in the 40s. Oh, Alvin Kamara, he killed me personally and on this show. Running back heroes. In the same game, I did call Cordell Patterson. So Cordell Patterson, I had him ranked as an RB2 coming into the pre-draft process. And all I kept hearing over and over again was how he fizzled out toward the end of the year. No one seemingly taking into account that this guy came back way too early on a high ankle sprain. Came back after a week. Supposed to miss four to six weeks on a high ankle sprain. Came back after a week. It actually had a good performance that first week he came back. And yes, he was playing injured and fizzled out that way towards the end of the season. Now, I'm not saying Cordell Patterson is a guy who could handle a 250-plus carry workload over a 17-game season and not expect a little wear and tear, but the idea that Cordell Patterson was not going to be able to take the success that he had from last year and bring it into this year was proven wrong And what was a tough matchup against the New Orleans Saints on top of all of it. Yeah, thank you, Cordell Patterson, for making me feel really good about ranking you as a top 24 running back in the pre-draft process. Running back zeros. Here's another guy I hope I can stop talking about after tonight, or at least as far as his terrible performance was, and that was Cam Akers. I had him ranked as an RB2 in the pre-draft process. I had him ranked as RB22 coming into the week, so I did have him as a starting guy. We know the story by now. Three carries, zero yards, Sean McVay calling him out. I'm curious to see what that call out does. I mean, I was almost laughable when Sean McVay said, you got to maximize your opportunities. He only gave him three touches. I don't know what he's supposed to maximize off of three touches. But at the same time, maybe it was a call to action to get more out of Cam Akers in practice. Maybe if Sean McVay sees that extra fire, maybe he will give him more opportunities. They got a matchup coming up against the Atlanta Falcons this week. It will be curious to see what the split will be. But until we see something change, Cam Akers is going to have to ride the bench. Don't drop him. Don't drop him. Let him ride the bench. Let this thing, whole thing play out. If nothing else, and I said this in the recap, he's at least a high-end handcuff to a Henderson who gets hurt pretty often throughout his career. 
Running Back Heroes. I don't want to necessarily say I told you so on a segment when I'm holding myself accountable and I had some wrong calls too, but um, I did tell you so when it came to the Houston Texans. People ranking Damian Pierce inside their top 20. Chris and I both told you so. I'll give Chris a shout out in this show too. We both said, look, at best case scenario, he's splitting time with Rex Burkhead, especially when it comes to a passing game on a team that more times than not will be trailing. And in this game, the Houston Texans were never trailing. It winds up ending in a tie, but this was every bit the game script that you could hope for out of a Damian Pierce. I had him ranked as my RB29 in the pre-draft process. That was as high as I was ever going to go as an RB3. He was drafted much higher than that in most leagues, especially towards the end. If you were drafted during Labor Day, he certainly was. Coming into this week, some people had him as a top 20 running back. I had him again as an RB3, a potential flex play based on... We know he's probably going to get double-digit touches, and he did. But Rex Burkhead proved that he is actually the starting running back, not Damian Pierce. I called that situation, so that one made me feel pretty good that I came out on the right side of that. Wide receiver zeros. Oh, my God, was I wrong on Robert Woods. Holy crap. I had this guy ranked as the wide receiver 30 coming into this week. He was on my lookout for segment and a guy I wanted you guys to play. And I also had my wide receiver three range for the season. Now I do think better days are ahead. I still think Robert Woods is a good receiver, but you had Kyle Phillips who got peppered with targets. And frankly, from what I saw, while it doesn't show up necessarily in the box score, I saw Traylon Burks that physically looked very good. It was very good after catch three catches, 55 yards in that game off of five targets I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Even even given all the negativity that came out of training camp, Burks is going to take over this job as the number one receiver for a run-heavy team. On top of it, Robert Woods, I may, have, I may have overshot my load when it comes to Robert Woods. Wide receiver heroes. Gabe Davis will be my redemption story when it comes to Robert Woods. I him as a lock-em-in must-start wide receiver. He came through with a good performance. I even mentioned on social media about, you know, Gabriel Davis, could he potentially be a top-12 receiver? I would say about 95% of the responses I got was that there's no way he could be a top-12 receiver. Now, I'm not saying just based on week one, he will be. But this is an offense that's going to pass a lot, and I do think Gabriel Davis is going to be a touchdown machine just like he picked up where he left off in week one. Thank you, Gabriel Davis. You are one of my receiver heroes of the week. Wide receiver zeros. Darnell Mooney, man, was I wrong on him for the week. Now, it's funny. Mooney was actually one of my guys I was kind of avoiding in drafts and told you guys as such. I thought he was overhyped, overranked in the pre-draft process. But coming into this game against San Francisco, I thought the volume would be there enough and that would be trailing from behind. Now, they didn't take the monsoon into enough consideration. I thought I, I kept him at my wide receiver 23 thinking he still should get the volume. They're still going to have to pass the ball. It should be Darno Mooney and then everybody else. That wasn't the case. And while it's hard to take a lot of things out of that game, the fact that Darno Mooney was not head and shoulders the number one targeted receiver and actually split a lot of the targets up with Brian Pringle and others, Velas Jones wasn't even out there yet. 
I'm a little bit concerned about not just not having the wrong call on Darnell Mooney this week, but I'd be a little bit concerned if I was a Darnell Mooney owner moving forward as well. Wide receiver heroes. It's not that this was a bold call because it wasn't, but Justin Jefferson, even after the Cooper Cup performance on Thursday, still maintaining his wide receiver one status after week one. The guy had ranked at the wide receiver one for week one, wide receiver one for pre-draft process. He looks every bit of what Cooper Cup was going to do, has every bit of that role. Kevin O'Connell lining him up in a very similar way of just getting him mismatches all over the place like McVay does for Cooper Cup. And Justin Jefferson, look, he's he is a more athletic player than Cup is. There's no other way around it. So Jefferson... My hero at the wide receiver one. Tight end zeros. I don't want to take too much of an L on this because I did have him as a bus player in the pre-draft process, but I thought because of his matchup this week, he'd have a chance to get in the end zone, which actually wound up making him a top 12 tight end for me this week. And that was Hunter Henry. I had him ranked at 11. He doesn't get in the end zone. What happens when a low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two doesn't get in the end zone? They bottom out on you. Okay, so Hunter Henry was a bad call, but was more importantly, Janu Smith, who I thought the pre-draft process would be more involved in the passing game, was. So Hunter Henry is going to be somebody who's going to be off my radar probably for a while as a result. Tight end heroes. I had Dalton Schultz ranked as the tight end five coming into the week, and he finished exactly as the tight end five. Now, what we get out of him moving forward, I don't know, but for week one, he was dead on the money for me. Tight end zeros. My Yeah, the big zero was, was Kyle Pitts. Now, I was not the only person wrong on this. A lot of people, I think the ECR actually had him ranked at tight end three, which is where I also had him ranked. He finishes as tight end 31. Actually, might have came down a few spots after the Monday night game from then, too. Better days are ahead for Kyle Pitts, but that was not the opening performance that you were frankly hoping for. Tight end heroes. Kelsey, my top tight end one for the pre-draft process. My tight end one for the week it was the only tight end that was really that good <laughs> at all. And he'll continue to be so. He's not falling off a cliff. I don't care that he's 33. He is the number one pass catcher of the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. So that does it for our, our heroes and zeros, my right and wrong calls of the week. We got about 15 minutes or so to try to squeeze in the waiver savers, and it's a hefty waiver saver segment, so we might go a little bit over, but we're going to do our best here. Let's hit it for those waiver savers. Waiver saviors. These are the guys that are going to help you get prepared for week two, maybe even further along than that. And I just can't believe how big my waiver wire is considering that it's only week one. And in some ways, it makes you excited about some players that might have some more value than we were expecting. And in other ways, it has to do with unfortunate circumstances. So let's talk about our quarterback waiver wire players. First and foremost, Carson Wentz at the top of my list here. He had a great game against Jacksonville. He gets to play Detroit this upcoming week. He was It was a top three. Guess what? Carson Wentz with QB one finish. It's a top five, I believe, quarterback one finish of the week, even after the Monday night game. He's only 16% owned. If you had Dak Prescott, you're looking to stream for this week. Carson Wentz should be on your radar. There's a lot of weapons there in Washington. While I don't love Scott Turner, having 
a Terry McLaurin, a promising rookie in Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, who looked good in this game, Antonio Gibson, who had a good game. There are offensive weapons to like, especially when you play against defenses that can be taken advantage of, like Detroit. So Carson Wentz should be a priority, especially if you're a Dak Prescott owner this past week. If you want more of a long-term option, though, because I think ultimately Wentz will even out to be that a QB2 by the end of this season, because I think that's just what he is. But a guy I think who might have some surprising upside, and I, I, he was somebody on my sleeper list coming into the pre-draft process, that's Marcus Mariota. We saw how much he ran, but not just how much he ran, how much he scrambled, how many designed runs Arthur Smith had. They were basically playing like a Georgia Tech offense. Like I was watching the triple option out there. I don't think that's going to change. It's not like they have a long-term commitment to Marcus Mariota, so they're not really overly concerned about getting him hurt. If Desmond Ritter were to come in, they're just going to run the same offense. So Mariota, we talk about rushing quarterbacks all having that, always being that cheat code, always having that, at least if nothing else, that safe floor. He looked pretty good passing the ball too. So Marcus Mariota for a long-term replacement, only 4% owned right now, should be on your radar if you need that guy and as a streamer for this upcoming week. Justin Fields is a guy like that too. I liked what I saw at Justin Fields. Again, not a lot you can take out of that game, but he did enough to make some big plays. He kept cool and calm, even though he was under pressure all day long from the San Francisco defense. And he ran a lot. While he didn't have the big, big fantasy performance here, Justin Fields at less than 50% owned, 46% owned on average on the major platforms. Justin Fields should be somebody who's on your radar. And again, kind of like Mariota, a long-term option for you as well. And then Ryan Tannehill had a solid performance this past week, will be a streaming option just as I said he would as long as Derrick Henry remains healthy, only 16% owned. He is less on my radar than those other guys are, but at the same time, he's still a streaming option nonetheless. That does it for my quarterbacks. And when it comes to my quarterbacks, by the way, if you have a fab budget, I'm not spending fab. Again, top three options, Wentz, Mariota, Fields. Even if you're trying to replace Dak Prescott, you should be able to get one of those three options without actually having to pay. And all three of them could be long-term options as well, even even Wentz to some degree, although I think at a lesser extent than a Mariota and a Fields. But I think Mariota you'd be able to get for free. I also wouldn't use a priority on them if you have a rolling waiver wire. If, you, if it resets every week, then I'm always using my waiver wire. But if you have a rolling waiver wire, you're trying to save that spot, I'm not wasting on the quarterback position. The running backs, though, that's where we would look at it. And Darrell Henderson right now, 46% owned. Now, if you have Fab, I don't want you going blowing your wad. Because, again, Henderson's somebody who just does not have the track record of staying healthy. And I wouldn't trust him to do so. But for right now, he is considered the starting running back of the Rams after what we saw on Thursday night until Camp Akers can somehow prove otherwise, which I don't think happens right away in Week 2. They do have the Atlanta matchup. I know Kamara didn't have a great game, but this should still be a good matchup on paper on a Rams team that is looking to course correct in a big way, coming off of a little bit of an extended break here since they had the Thursday night game last week. So Darrell Henderson, 46% owned on average. So he's out there. He's available. He's a priority. He's a number one running back to go pick up this week. I would still at least spend, consider spending up to 50% of your budget, but at least a quarter of your budget. And I would definitely be spending a priority waiver wire spot on him. Rex Burkhead, I would probably consider spending about 15 to 20% of my fad budget if you need somebody to be a flex or RB2 fill in. Again, with Houston Texans, 
if he's going to be the pass catcher, now I don't think he's going to hold up 17 games. That's why I don't want to go nuts. But if he's going to be the pass catcher on a team, that's going to trail quite a bit. And from this game, in a neutral game script, I'll carry Damian Pierce, doubled up his snaps. He does seem to be the starting running back. He has some fantasy value in this same type of role last season. Rex Burkett is somebody who needs to be rostered and will potentially be in your starting lineups as soon as this week as a result of that, especially in PPR leagues at the flex. Jalen Warren. So thankfully, we got good news on Najee Harris as far as his foot being negative, his ankle being negative, and it sounds like he's actually going to suit up and be expected to play this Sunday. But if you have Harris, and this is really more for the Harris owners, not really for anybody else, unless you have a spot to burn on your back end of your bench. If you have Harris, make sure you're handcuffing him with Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren came in, dominated the snaps as the number two running back. It looks like he would be the featured guy if something were to happen to Harris moving forward. Make sure you have him on your team. Harris kind of, you know, coming off a, a little bit of a Liz Franck sprain that he had over the summer. Now he's dealing with an ankle injury. He's getting nicked up. That offensive line's not good. Make sure you have Jalen Warren as a backup and be preemptive in that, not have to try to fight it out with everybody else in the waiver wire. We have uh, Wilson from San Francisco. Elijah Mitchell is going to be out. He's going to be on IR. He's going to be out probably, they're expecting at least a month, maybe more with an MCL sprain. We'll get more of a diagnosis from Brian Scott tomorrow night's show. But Jeff Wilson, as a result, look, the one thing that's interesting about Jeff Wilson, he's the 149ers running back who's actually allowed to be worked in in the passing game, even when he is the starting running back. He's always been like on a points per game basis over the last few years, like one of the better 49 running backs to own because when he gets the starting opportunity, he actually gets four to five targets along with 18 to 20 carries. Now, I don't know if he gets that many now because Devo Samuel looks like he's going to continue his role as the wide back, quote unquote, something I'm, I am surprised about. I, I talked about in the preseason. I didn't think he was going to after they get the big contract. You want to actually have your number one weapon be healthy I'd be surprised if he was getting eight, 10 carries a game, but he got eight last week. We'll see if that was just due to circumstance or not, but Jeff Wilson is definitely going to be a guy who's going to be considered probably in that high-end RB3, maybe depending upon matchup in that low-end RB2 territory. He definitely needs to be a top pickup this week. He's only 4% owned in leagues, so go out there, go get Jeff Wilson, I would say use at least a quarter of your fab budget. If you're the Elijah Mitchell owner, I would maybe use up to 30, 35. I'm not going to go as high as 50 because Tyrion Davis price, who's also on my list here. We know Shanahan could pivot off at any given moment and just, you know, go for his dark horse guy. They spent the third round draft capital on him to replace Trey Sermon to kind of be that guy. While I don't think he supplants Jeff Wilson, it will be interesting to see and Jeff Wilson, not a model of health himself. So if he were to get hurt over the next four or five weeks or so, Tyrion Davis price would be a value too. So if you can stash price, not using a priority, not using fab budget, but if you can stash price, that might be a worthy stash moving forward. Alexander Madison, he's always going to make my list. I feel like he's always on my list. Why is he only 45% owned on average, guys? If you're a Dalvin Cook owner, there's absolutely no reason on planet Earth that Alexander Madison should not also be owned or less than 50% owned across the major platforms. If you have Dalvin Cook, go get Alexander Madison. Make a roster spot immediately. It's one of the handcuffs that has to be owned. Jamal Williams. Now, this is more of a handcuff play, but Jamal Williams, as he showed by the two touchdowns he scored, 
does have some emergency touchdown dependent standalone value. It looks like when they get inside the goal line, it's his gig. It looks like they are splitting up the carries about 55 45 rate as they did this past Sunday. So it's obviously the better player and will be the one involved in the passing game. But if he were to go down, Jamal Williams could be in for a big day because Craig Reynolds is a very similar running back to Jamal Williams. I don't think he would be eating into his workload all that much. Keep that in mind when it comes to Jamal Williams. He's on average 35% owned. If DeAndre Swift owner, you might want to look into getting him. I'm not spending too much fab, maybe 10 to 15%. I'm not wasting a waiver wire priority because he's not going to be a must start from me or anything coming up as there are for other running backs, but he is a worthy add. Cleo Herbert, if you have David Montgomery, go get Cleo Herbert. Plain, plain, plain and simple. He showed why he's still a good runner. I liked him coming out of college as a runner. I still question how much of a passing game volume he'll ever have because of his ineffectiveness as a blocker in that situation. But we did see last year he came in for David Montgomery as the number one handcuff. He got all the work. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened again if Montgomery gets hurt. I don't think he has standalone value yet, but you definitely need to have him if you have David Montgomery without a doubt. Pacheco is on my list, but don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Pacheco is in a full-blown committee with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. If anybody is telling you that this is a three-man committee in Kansas City, they didn't actually watch the game. Pacheco came in at garbage time when the game was a complete and utter blowout. The Chiefs, more times than not, are going to be in shootouts this year. Now, the one thing I will say as far as Clyde Edwards-Alaire is that Jerick McKinnon was worked in and did share the load in the passing situations. It just happened to be CEH who got the two touchdowns. I'd be more worried about McKinnon. Pacheco, though, is a worthy stash. If something happens to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's been banged up throughout his career, something happens to Jerry McKinnon, who's been banged up throughout his career, one, he's clearly ahead of Ronald Jones, but two, he can do a little bit of everything. Pacheco is a worthy stash play, not a guy who I'm prioritizing to go pick up. Rashad White, he's only 15% owned. I would definitely have him ahead of Pacheco as far as guys I'm going after. He is the 101 handcuff for Leonard Fournette, not just in the passing game. We had a bit of a question about that. You know, what would happen if Fournette went down? Would Rashad White be the handcuff, or would he just have a pass-catching role and they bring in Keyshawn Vaughn? Vaughn was a healthy scratch in this game, and I think Rashad White at this point, I think would be the one-on-one handcuff for Leonard Fournette if something were to happen both in the ground and in the passing game. So definitely make sure you go out and get Rashad White if you have Leonard Fournette. That does it for the running backs. I know, a hefty list. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Let's talk about waiver savers on the wide receivers. A short list of the running backs, thank God. But still some value that be had. As, and value that could be had as soon as week two. Like you might want to actually plug into your lineups. And the head, headline my list, Julio Jones. He's 43% owned on average, so just under the 50% cutoff mark amongst the major platforms. When I say major platforms, I mean ESPN, Yahoo, NFL, CBS. I take those and I average it out. 43% owned for Julio Jones. Chris Godwin, I would be, even though they keep saying that it's only a hamstring strain and it's not that severe, which is great news, of course, I have a hard time believing Godwin, who is expected to be on a pitch count in that Sunday night game anyway, coming back and playing week two. I just think they're going to play cautious with Godwin at the end of the day. So Julio Jones, 
who very much from a playing time standpoint was the number two receiver to Mike Evans. He's the guy you can pick up. You can play as soon as this week. Josh Palmer, another one of those guys. Now, Josh Palmer would probably be my number one waiver wire wide receiver pickup over Julio Jones. Because in Keenan Allen's case, not only do we know he's definitely missing this game because it's a Thursday night game, we haven't gotten the, as of recording the show, we haven't gotten the MRI results back for his hamstring yet. We still don't know what the timeline is yet. But Palmer will be the number two guy. I know DeAndre Carter had the better stat line this past week, but Palmer played well ahead of him in snaps, was second only to Mike Williams. He's going to be the guy stepping in for Keenan Allen. Those two are going to be on the field. Starting this week, I think Palmer is going to be in my wide receiver three territory right off the bat in a what could be a shootout game, which should be a shootout game with the Kansas City Chiefs. And we'll probably have more value than just this week where Julio, it might just be this week if Godwin's back right away. So Josh Palmer, my number one wide receiver pickup on the week, 35% owned. I'd use about 15, 20% of my fab budget. I would use a priority on him as well. Robbie Anderson, I don't get swept up too much in Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore is not always going to be matched up on guys like Denzel Ward, which had a lot to do with how this game shook out. And even with that, Anderson still only tied DJ Moore in targets. Moore is the clear-cut number one. He will, I believe he will be targeted as the clear-cut number one as we move forward. But maybe Robbie Anderson's not as left for dead as we all thought coming off of last season either. She Smith was the number three receiver. Terrace Marshall's not even a thing. I do think there's enough room for this offense to have two fantasy-relevant wide receivers that should be Robbie Anderson based off of playing time. I'm not spending priority. I'm not even going to spend fat. But if you have a spot and you need a receiver, he's a guy that you can kind of look at based on playing time. Curtis Samuel, he's only 8% owned right now. 11 targets, he led the way. He was the third receiver behind Dotson and McLaurin in snaps. But when they go three receiver sets, he was the slot guy and Wentz clearly was looking for him, giving him double-digit targets while the other two were below five. I don't know if that's going to be the idea moving forward every single week, but if you're looking in a PPR league and you're trying to find some wide receivers, Curtis Samuel is definitely a worthy pickup, especially going up against Detroit this week if those roles were to stay the same. Next up, I want to talk about two guys at the same time, and that's the Cardinals slot receiver, Rondale Moore at 32% owned, and then Greg Dortch, who is 0% owned, by the way. Nobody owns Greg Dortch. Rondell Moore, we never got an actual confirmed report on what the timeline came back to be off the MRI for the hamstring that he got last week. The team never said. Kingsbury never said. So we don't know. I still have to believe that because he got it in practice, because he had to have an MRI on it, I would be surprised if he was back as soon as week two. But what we did see was the slot receiver, and in this case, it was Greg Dortch filling in for Rondale Moore, get featured in this offense. I don't think that's necessarily a fluke. So as long as Rondale Moore is out, Greg Dortch, and I would say more so in PPR leagues than half-point PPR, Greg Dortch is a guy that I think you can add and play if you need a fill-in or flex play this upcoming week. Would they need pass catchers? A.J. Green is toast. I that was one thing that kind of made me happy that it was Greg Dorch and not AJ Green. So we'd have to keep talking about AJ Green having to be an option just because of the playing time, because of the vault. No, no, no. He's toast. It's Greg Dorch who can have a bit of a floor 
with Rondell Moore out the slot receiver position. Arizona, I'm having trouble remembering who Arizona's playing off the top of my head. I know it's a decent matchup, though, for that. He could be on the radar if Rondell Moore continues not to play. But if Rondell Moore is going to be back this week, go out and get him. He's widely available at 32%. He could be a difference maker there for Kyler Murray looking over the middle of the field. Very much in play there. So make sure you go out and get Rondell Moore, especially if he's going to be back this week. Romeo Dobbs at 26% owned. So none of the Green Bay receivers were effective. Christian Watson played the most out of all the wide receivers, but Romeo Dobbs, for what it's worth, was the best receiver. He had five targets. That was the most targets, five receptions, 37 yards. Sammy Watkins is done. Randall Cobb is done. Rodgers might be frustrated as he can be with the wide receivers after that past week. He's going to probably be the most frustrated with Watson, who had that bad drop ball that should have been a touchdown. Dobbs, is, I think, is the safety blanket. I think he's the most reliable of the options that they have. And with Alan Lazard, there's a real chance he misses week two. Now, they might still fully rotate, and I'm not saying Dobbs is going to be a guy that's in your lineup, but a stash play? Yeah, he's definitely a stash play for me at 26% of owned. Sterling Shepard. I don't necessarily want to go out and get a Giants wide receiver right now, and I don't know what's going on with Kadarius Tony. I think he's clearly the best receiver they have on the team, but clearly deep, deep, deep in that doghouse with the coaching staff. You know who they do love? They love Sterling Shepard. And with Wandell Robinson likely to miss time with a knee injury, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see Sterling Shepard get moved back into the slot, which is where he was always most effective, and was always pretty fantasy relevant with Daniel Jones in that position. If those two things happen, Sterling Shepard could actually be a very viable flex play, a high-end wide receiver four, a low-end wide receiver three. And with Kadarius Tony in the doghouse, I think there's a likelihood that Shepard could wind up being the Giants' number one receiver, even coming off the Achilles injury. He put my mind to ease with the big bomb touchdown that he had. He looked explosive enough to me. Shepard could be a thing, a speculative ad in this situation. Last but not least, in our last segment for today's show, the tight end waiver savers of the week. And we need some tight end waiver saviors. Oh, man, do we need them? Because it was brutal in week one once you got past Travis Kelsey. It was absolutely brutal. Tyler Higby's at 49% owned, just, just at that cutoff mark. He had 11 targets against the Buffalo Bills. Without Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby very well could be that wide receiver, that pass catching, that pass catching receiver three. I don't think Allen Robinson gets stuck with one target again, or two targets, I should say, one reception on twelve yards. I do think that's going to correct itself a little bit this week against Atlanta, but Higby's going to very much be a part of this passing game. I think as long as Van Jefferson is out, so Higby's still a streaming option for me based on volume. Logan Thomas is the number one. Logan Thomas is the number one pickup at tight end. He had five targets in a game in which we saw Samuel get involved. We saw Dossie get involved. We saw McLaurin get involved. He out-route ran John Bates. Didn't out-snap him, but he had more routes run, had more targets. Looked decent. I don't know how. He had a terrible ACL injury late in the year, but he looked decent. Logan Thomas is somebody who could potentially be a top 12 tight end the rest of the season. He made my sleeper list when it came to the pre-draft process. I said he was somebody who could be there if he's recovered and back in the tight end position is just so desolate. He could be that guy. So if you're looking for a long-term option, 
Logan Thomas at 5% owned could be that long-term option for you because I think after this past week, they should have more confidence to play him in front of John Bates. Look for Logan Thomas to make his way back to top 12 territory. Robert Tunyon, more of a speculative ad than anything else because he didn't run away with position as far as playing time goes, but I do think they were easing him in. And if the disarray at the wide receiver position for the Packers continues, it wouldn't surprise me if Rodgers says, you know what, I did have a report with Tunyon, especially when he came to touchdowns just a couple of years ago. Maybe he just becomes a go-to option, especially when you get in that part of the field, but maybe even in general. If Rodgers is looking for guys that he trusts, Robert Tunyon could be that guy until Alan Lazard returns. So a speculative ad. Hayden Hurst, another one. If T. Higgins misses more time next week with a concussion issue, Hayden Hurst will be a streaming option for me and a top-end one at that. He had eight targets this past game. He was involved in that passing attack with both Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd on the field. So Hayden Hurst could be a streaming option, especially if T. Higgins misses. Now, if Higgins does not miss, I'm probably keeping Hurst off my list here, but he is a streaming option if T. Higgins were to continue miss time with a concussion injury. Hope he doesn't, but just in case. That does it for today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I hope we have some good players. And if you lost in week one, hopefully we're going to get you back on the right direction in week two with some of our waiver saviors. Make sure you're hitting me up in my DMs or even just you want to at me, whatever, at BellyUpMDFFShow on social media. We're going to help you guys out with all of your fantasy football questions throughout the year. And, of course, we have the mailbag statement going on on the Look Ahead Wednesday and the Clairvoyant Thursday, we have mailbag segments for you guys. Make sure you're taking advantage of that. We'll put you on the show. So all you have to do is get to us on social media, at Show. Download us on your favorite podcast. Download us on the Foxy Network app. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back tomorrow with the Look Ahead Wednesday and start to get prepared for week two at 10 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss it. And we will see you then. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.